0: To Acts chapter 13. We come to the conclusion of our series of messages that we've entitled One Mission. And over the past several weeks, since the beginning of the year, we have been talking about the mission that Christ has set before us, this evangelism effort of, of sharing our faith. And uh, one thing that, that I hope that has rung true, that, that we've grabbed a hold of is that evangelism is not all about sharing our faith. You say, now that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I thought evangelism was all about sharing our faith. Well, that is a part of evangelism, but evangelism begins on our knees before we even leave our house evangelism begins with a burden. We must pray and ask the Lord to to give us a deep burden for the lost. And and as the Lord places this this burden in our heart that we begin to see people the way Christ sees people. We see uh, lostness the way God sees lostness. And we see the, the desperate need for a savior when we begin to see... Uh, people and, and events like that, we are well on our way of being able to share our faith. You see, it's so much more than just memorizing scripture, but this is where it begins. Our, our one mission, our one vision, what it is that, that God has called us to do. In Acts chapter 13, we see this mission again. I ask, what are the purposes of the driving forces within churches today? Some churches are built upon tradition maintaining the status quo. Tradition trumps anything else that, that the church may want to do. And so these churches that that pride themselves on tradition, now tradition is not a bad thing when taken within context. Tradition is a good thing. We are a church that has been in existence for 60 years. Years and a church that has been around for sixty years says something to the community. It says that we're not a fly-by-night kind of church. That that God has had His hand upon this body of believers for for six decades. And so there's something to tradition, but we have to be careful not to allow tradition to trump vision. What happens in a lot of churches today, existing churches, older churches, is we we we, we get uh, so caught up in tradition that that you've heard me say this, the seven last, the seven dying words of a, of a church are this, we have never done it that way before. When we begin to say it like that, we begin to say that statement, that is a, 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 a death warrant for a church. We, we must not be constantly bothered by change and rules and policies. Churches sometimes grab a hold of tradition. Also churches are driven by programs. They, they must maintain the ministries and maintain the programs, whether that program is Sunday school or women's program or men's ministry or the choir program or youth program, children's program. And all these programs are good. All these ministries are good. They're they're, they're used by the Lord to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with ministries. But what happens is that when that ministry begins to drive the purpose of the church, when, when we begin to focus on maintaining ministries instead of fulfilling the mission that God has called us to do, that's when the problem sets in. And so some churches are focused on tradition. But let me remind you, That tradition and ministries, the church church is not built upon gimmicks or programs or personalities. The church of Jesus Christ is built upon mission, passion, our one mission. Every church, just like every Christian, needs a magnificent obsession, a, a compelling reason for being. The so what? Why do we exist? What's the point? Why do we do what we do? Why do we gather? Why do we preach? Why do we sing? Why do we give? We have to answer that question. What drives us? That's a very good question. We need to answer that. What what is it that drives us? We are driven. Listen, we are driven by a great commitment, a, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. We are driven by a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. What is our commitment? What is our vision? What is our mission? What, what is it that we have committed and said this is what we're going to accomplish? We center ourselves on Jesus doing whatever it takes for people to experience life change. That's our commitment. That's our vision. That's our mission, centering ourselves on Jesus, doing whatever it takes for people to experience life change. How do we accomplish this? What does that look like? Well, our great commitment comes in his birth out of the great commandment. Jesus said that the great commandment is simply this. You will love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like it. You will love your neighbor as yourself. The The great commandment is all about love. Next week is Valentine's Day. Guys, I'm, I'm giving you a heads up today. Don't miss this, men. Take notes. Next week is Valentine's Day. I warned you. Next week, I better not hear any wives come up and say, my husband didn't do anything for me. I warned you. The great commandment is about love. The great commitment, center ourselves on Jesus to whatever it takes for people to experience life change. That's birthed out of the great commandment, which is to love the Lord your God and to love others. And also the great commission. The great commitment, our vision, our mission, birthed out of the great commandment, which is love. And the great commission, which Christ gave no less than five times, four times in the Gospels, and also in the book of Acts, that we are to go and we are to share and we are to see lost people saved and and saved people discipled. You couple the the commitment with the commission and the commandment and what you have is the one mission. You have the mission of the church. You have the, 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 the holy obsession, if you will. You have the purpose, what it is that we are to be doing, why it is that we do what we do. So what kind of church fulfills the great commission and the great commandment? What kind of church? Well, I believe here in Acts chapter 13, we see two uh, points. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word and Let's look at this together. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse number one. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manny, and a lifelong friend of Herod the patriarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Father, I pray that in these short few verses that we just read here today, that, Lord, we have the mission for the church. We have what it means to be a church that will fulfill the great commission and the great commandment that you've given to us right here in these three verses. Lord, I pray that as we talk about those here today, Lord, that you will strengthen our heart, prepare us to be able to accomplish what you've called us here in this scripture to accomplish. We ask this in Christ's name and all of God's people said Please be seated. Two things today, only two points today. Number one, a church that sacrifices. A church that fulfills the Great Commandment and the Great Commission is a church that number one sacrifices. We're told here in verse two that that these Christians were worshiping, they were ministering. You see that word there in verse two. That word literally means it, it's, it's used for, it's the same word that is used for when the Old Testament priest would come into the temple and they would, they would bring sacrifices onto the altar. So this, this, this idea of worship, this idea of ministering, is, it, it, what it is is the concept of sacrifice. Paul said that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy. And uh, this is our reasonable act of service, our reasonable act of worship is to bring this sacrifice of ourselves. You see, what we find here in Acts chapter 13 are these Christians, these believers, these, the, the, the church of Jesus Christ has come together ministering and worshiping, which literally means they were bringing sacrifices to the Lord. They were worshiping God through sacrificial living. They were praying, they were ministering, they were fasting. Here in this church, if you've been with us for any time of duration, you know that, that here at Aloma, we believe in the principle of fasting. In fact, in the past three years, we have done two church-wide fasts, a 40-day fast and a 50-day fast. I hope and pray that this this notion, this discipline of fasting has rubbed off on many of us and, and we don't just fast when the whole church fasts, but but we as as Christians we we accept this principle and, and we fast. It's a discipline that is so forgotten and lost in the Christian walk and the Christian world today. But but we are told to to pray and to fast fast. And we find here that fasting is is another sacrifice that, that we make. We are sacrificing the fact that we don't need food, that God is our nourishment. Fasting is a spiritual discipline of depriving oneself of food or other pleasures in order to get full attention to the will and the word of God. This says they were sacrificing together. The word sacrifice, it means that we show our highest regard and love for Jesus. That's a very simple definition. Sacrifice means that we show our highest regard and love for Jesus. It's our obedience to do what he has told us to do. It's a matter of surrendering our heart to his will. Let your obedience, let your obedience be an expression of your devotion and your adoration. Sacrifice. As we're thinking about sacrifice and and what that means to sacrifice, I I don't want us to think sacrifice is only in giving or sacrifice. There's so many aspects of sacrifice. Isaiah gives us one. In Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 2, Isaiah writes, "...enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes." Here Isaiah in Isaiah chapter fifty four still again speaks of 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 sacrificing by enlarging the tent. This was done because there were people coming in uh, to the tents of Jerusalem, new babies, and the families were growing, and and new converts. and And Isaiah is telling uh, the the people of of Israel, he's telling the Jews that all this bad stuff's going to happen, but there's going to come a time when you're going to have to stretch out your tents, you're going to have to lengthen your cords, you're going to have, and of course as you go bigger with the tent, you've got to drive the stakes deeper into the ground. I will never forget the time that I went to Israel, one of the first times I went to Israel so many years ago. And uh, when we went, we, we, we were driving by the shepherd's fields. They, they call them the shepherd's fields right outside of Bethlehem. And they're in Bethlehem, right outside of Bethlehem in the shepherd's fields. It's where they, they believe that uh, the shepherds were when, when the star shone above Bethlehem. And gave the shepherds the sign. The angel came and spoke to the shepherds. This is uh, these fields. And so I, I wanted to stop. I asked the guy, I said, can we stop and go talk to these shepherds? And they said, well, they're not going to understand you, but they will understand uh, me. They, they spoke Hebrew. And so we, we went and I, I wanted to meet these people. And so we walked in and, and I tell you, we were, we were, it was like we were royalty. We walked into, you know, we're we're dodging uh, you know, the, the, the bombs that are on the ground and wanted to be careful not to step on anything in the grass. But we, we get up to their, their tent, and, and it was just a little small tent, and, and they saw this big, massive group, 50, 60 people coming. And these shepherds, they, they, they came out to our guide, and they were speaking in Hebrew. And, and then I began to see them uh, start dispersing, and they went to their tent, and they, they, they tore their tent down. I thought, well, that didn't work out very good. <laughs> But what they were doing was they tore their tent down in order to unbutton it and unfasten it and undo it. So where they began to spread their tent out and they, they began to spread out the cords and they began to strengthen their stakes. They were, they were expanding their tent because of all the people that have come to see them. It was a beautiful thing. And so I, I, I walked into the tent and they had rooms set up in this tent. And I thought I, walk, I was walking back 3000 years before the time of Christ, and I, I walked into this tent, and I, I turned to the right, and I, I was thinking, man, this is just so awesome. I, I feel like I'm back in the days of Jesus, and I looked to the right, and there was a television with rabbit ears, and they were watching The Price is Right. I thought, well, there goes that vision of, of being back in the time of Jesus. But, you know, the point is that they, they were very welcoming to the guests. They, they saw new people coming. And they sacrificed, they did what, it, they changed. They completely changed their home in order to accommodate people that had not even arrived. They didn't even know who we were, but they were accommodating to the point that they opened their house to us. You know, as I think about the church, I, I, I've thought about that many times and I thought about the sacrifice that, that those shepherds made. They didn't have to do that. They, they didn't have to, they, they, they made us coffee, or at least what I thought was coffee, and, and I was drinking out of this cup, and I was thinking, I don't know how, how many people drink out of this cup, and if it's ever been washed before. It was more like motor oil that I was drinking, but, but I was thinking, you know, th- these people didn't have to do this. They pulled out all the stops. They sacrificed in order to make us feel like we were at home. This past week, we had somebody in the church, I don't know who it was, but somebody in the church gave a sacrificial gift to the children's building that, that we have just completely gave as a concept. We, 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 we've shown pictures, but you've not heard me talk much about it, but we had someone give a sacrificial gift of $15,000 to that children's building. You know, that's an awesome thing. I, I can't get over that. And I began to think, what would happen if every member of a Loma church began to sacrifice that way, not not get we don 't all have the ability to give that kind of money to give that amount but but what would happen if if we began to focus and we all sacrifice we don 't all give the same we don 't all have the same means, not that we give the same, but what would happen if we all sacrifice the same? What would happen if if we look because you understand the reality is that, that as God is continuing to bring people into our fold, that there's coming a time, and that time may be coming sooner than, than what we're, we're wanting, but there's going to come a time when we're going to have to turn people away and say, I'm sorry, we don't have enough rooms in our children's building to house all of the people that are coming. Now on Wednesday nights, we can't do our Wednesday night activities in that building. We have to stretch out and go to different buildings because we have so many children coming. Can I tell you that, that the, the need is great. It's all about sacrifice. But sacrifice isn't just about giving. Have you ever heard of, of this concept called travailing prayer? I was amazed. I've been talking about travailing prayer for a few weeks. And, and I had a Christian come up on Wednesday nights, our, our revelation study. I had somebody come up and say, what do you mean by travailing prayer? I said, it's a sacrificial prayer it 's praying out of out of a burden it 's praying out of a sacrifice. They said, What does that mean? I said, Well, look in your Bible to John sixteen, turn over there with me in John chapter sixteen, I want to show you a prayer of sacrifice. Keep your finger there in acts thirteen, but in John chapter sixteen john is is telling us uh, Jesus is teaching us th- this this praying with a burden this praying with a sacrifice in our heart and and trusting and believing. In verse 20, John 16, verse 20, he says, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. You've heard this before, right? Your sorrow will turn into joy. Now, keep reading though. We often stop there in that verse, but keep reading. Verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Verily, verily, I say to you, whatever you ask of my father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive it that your joy may be full. He well, that doesn't seem like a sacrificial prayer. That, that sounds like a prayer that I hear these, these TV preachers. Pray for a million dollars and you're gonna get a million dollars. Pray anything in my name and you're going to get it, right? Wrong. Earlier in John 15, just a chapter earlier than John 16, Jesus again is teaching on prayer. And he tells us that we must pray in accordance with his word. That we pray in accordance with his word. The disciples come to Jesus early on in the ministry of Jesus. And they said, Jesus teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, okay, I'll teach you how to pray. He said, pray this way, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done. No, that's not what he said, right? Your kingdom come, thy will, his will, God's will be done. John 15 tells us that we pray in accordance with the word. Uh, the, The Lord's prayer teaches us that we pray in accordance with the Lord's will. So as we begin to pray this, this, this and we're traversing in prayer as a, a woman who is pregnant and is about to give birth and, and she, she's, she's full of pain, she's full of anguish and she's, she's uncomfortable and she she's has a great burden. Jesus tells us in John 16 that we are to pray that way. We are to pray with a deep burden, pray with a sacrifice, not just for anything. We pray in accordance with his word and we pray in accordance with his will. And I want you to hear this very clearly there are certain things that we don't have to pray. God, should I do this? One of those is evangelism. You don't have to pray, God, do I need to share my faith? The answer is yes. We know that God's word says, and God's will is that all people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is said over and over and over and over throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. God's desire is to have relationship with his people. And so it is our responsibility as a church, how is it that we're going to fulfill the commitment that we have? How is it we're going to fulfill the mission that God has given to us? It's by being a church that is based out of sacrifice, and sacrifice isn't just money. Yes, money is a big part of it, but we must have people, you and me, on our knees, praying, sacrificially praying, praying with a burden, praying as a woman who is in labor that is about to give birth, praying with anguish, crying out to the Lord, God, give us this city that's where it begins praying that way giving that way living our life in that way now some people they don't want the church to grow i was amazed when i was a young preacher boy fresh out of seminary and you know i I had this i had this thought i'm gonna win the world I'm gonna charge hell with a water gun. And I mean, my fire was burning as, as 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 hot as ever. And then I stepped into the church of Jesus Christ and I got water thrown on me. Preacher, why do you keep preaching that? way? Why do you always ask people to come to salvation? Why, why do you keep growing the church? Don't you realize that this new person is, is sitting in my pew? I literally walked over to that person and said, "I don't see your name on the pew. I, I I don't see it there. I'm sorry." I mean, when 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 we were going through and 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 trying to trust the Lord, and the church was growing, I I, people kept saying, "Isn't the church big enough?" What are you going to? Don't you realize how much money it costs to heat water for the baptistry? You know, some people just don't want the church to grow. It was kind of like the story I heard about a man and his wife. He went to the doctor. He he had a lot of problems, and he went in for his examination. He came back out, and the, the doctor motioned for the wife to come in, and they had a consultation. The man was stayed outside. He brought the wife in. He, he was speaking to the wife. He said, ma'am, he said, I, I want you to tell you something. I need to have a serious talk with you. Your husband is very, very sick. He's going to die. And, and of course, she's aghast, and She said, what in the world is going on? What can I do? He said, well, it's all stress-related with your husband. But if if certain things don't change in his life, he's going to die. And so you need to do exactly what I'm I'm telling you to do in order for your husband to live. She she, she said, I'll do anything. She said, okay. The doctor said, okay, over the next six months to a year, uh, you need to make sure that you alleviate all stress out of your husband's life. He's gonna wake up early in the morning and you need to have him breakfast. I mean, a hot breakfast and he needs to smell bacon before he gets out of bed. He needs to wake up to that smell every morning. You need to encourage him when he wakes up. You need to tell him he's the man. I mean, you, you're, you're awesome. You, you, are, you are just the, the, the best thing since sliced bread, right? Don't be asking him a lot of questions. Don't be sharing your problems with him. Make sure there's no stress in his life. Make sure he's completely happy. Do everything you can in his day. Every minute, make sure he's in a good mood. Pack him a wonderful lunch when he, for when he goes off to work. When he gets home, greet him with a great kiss. Make sure there's a great meal on the stove and, and, and ready to be served. When he lays down at night, make sure you rub his feet and, and respond to his needs. Well, the wife, she received this information. She walked out of the doctor's office, got her husband, got in the car. They were driving home and the husband said, well, that was kind of odd that he wouldn't speak to me there. He said, what did the, what did the doctor say? And she said, honey, I'm sorry to tell you, you're gonna die. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of people There's a lot of folks in our churches that would rather see the church die than to make the necessary changes needed and sacrifices needed for the church to grow and to live. Hear my heart, growth requires change. Growth requires change. Our our little boy, he keeps outgrowing his clothes, it seems like every week. I don't like the fact that he's outgrowing his clothes. It's costing money. But I understand that growth requires change. There's two things that I learned. If you want to really make a Baptist mad, you can do one of these two things. Number one, don't serve any kind of fried food on a Wednesday night. If you don't do that, they're they're gonna get mad. I want my fried chicken, preacher. The second thing, talk about change. When we start talking about change to Christians, we put a guard up. And I get it. I mean, nobody really likes change. We, we like things to happen the way they happen. We, 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 like, we don't like the fear of the unknown. We don't like having to think about, well, what if this or what if that? I, I like things the way they always were. I remember my grandfather, when he was alive before he went to heaven, he kept talking about the good old days. The good old days, the good old days, the good old days, you know. This is how we used to live and this is the way it was in our country. And 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 children actually respected their parents and all this stuff, all this stuff, the good old days, the good old days. You know, back in the good old days, the the kids they they actually talked to the parents. They didn't just sit there and and play on their phone. And 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 I got to the point where I I I thought, you know, how really how good were the good old days? I said, Papa. You know, back when you were growing up in the good old days, when you had to go to the bathroom, you had to leave your house and go outside in the winter and go to an outhouse and go to the bathroom out there. How good is that? I prefer water running inside the house. You see, we often glamorize the past, don't we? We often glamorize the past and we make it sound like it was just this wonderful, wonderful thing. The past had its problems just as the present has its problems. But if we're going to win this city with the gospel of Jesus Christ, listen, we must change. We must embrace change. The message doesn't change. The message never changes. If we're going to win this city with the gospel of Christ, the message must be consistent. The 2,000-year-old message that Jesus saves is our message, but our methods must change. The way we communicate, the way we relate, we must not be so opposed to change that when something changes, that that we we just flip our gourd. No. When we change for the purpose of the Lord, we understand that, that oftentimes God, aren't you glad that God's changed you? Aren't you glad that God has not kept you where you were when you were saved and when he took you out of that place when you were saved, that he didn't leave you in that same state, but he changed you. And through sanctification, he is continuing to save you and mold you and shape you. You are a work in progress. You are changing. Don't be opposed to change. Don't be worried about whether we're going to like this. Or Listen, change is inevitable. We must sacrifice. And as the church sacrifices and gives, we know that that things may have to change. The way we do things may have to change, but we're doing that in order not to tick people off, but to win people. Do you think it was that the shepherds really wanted to have to tear down their tent and and spread their tent and, and do that whole thing when they saw us coming? Probably, if we were asked them, they probably would rather have not done that. They probably would have rather watched Bob Barker and the Price is Right on their rabbit ear TV. They probably would have rather done that. But they sacrificed in order to see and touch and build relationships with people they had not ever met before. Church, if we're going to win this city, we've got to start with a church that is sacrificing and then second of all, a church that is serving. Again, verse two. We see that that God works primarily through local churches. You know, I appreciate the parachurch organizations. I love Billy Graham Evangelist Association. I love uh, the work of Campus Crusade, what's now called CRU. Dr. Bill Bright has, uh, I never met the man, but, but he has poured uh, so much into me and molded me and shaped me. And, and, and this world needs these these types of ministries, but understand that it's only through the church of Jesus Christ that God is going to work and to move and to change the world. World evangelism, the job of world evangelism is through the local church. It was the church here at Antioch. This Antioch church was in the boondocks. It was out in the middle of nowhere. The only hope that evangelism was going to have, the Jerusalem church, they, they stopped. They stopped. So the only hope of fulfilling the mission now rested on the shoulders of the church at Antioch. The hope for America and the hope for this world is churchwide revival. The hope for America is not electing a Republican or a Democrat. That's not our hope. The hope for America is in the revival of you and me. When we step outside of our comfort zone and we go with the gospel of Christ. Now, up until this time in the book of Acts, we've always heard about the church in Jerusalem. We've we've never ventured for the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. We've never ventured outside of Jerusalem until now. Now we meet this, this church that is found in Antioch right outside of Jerusalem. And the Bible says that it was in Antioch that the believers in Christ were first called what? Christians. That word Christian means little Christs or like Christ. So understand, the church in Jerusalem, the, 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 the big church, the founding church, the mother church, they weren't called Christians. It was in this church in the boondocks where they were first called Christians. Maybe... Jerusalem had gotten too big. Maybe uh, they got focused on other things, tradition or, or ministries. Maybe they lost their mission direction. We don't know. But it was not the church in Jerusalem, the mother church is a word that brought the catalyst of worldwide evangelization. It was this church out in the boondocks, this church in Antioch that God used to raise up the first missionaries to carry the gospel to the world. And this is the church that we are to reflect. A group that, that, that ceases to share. We continue to share. Now, I'm concerned. I'm concerned when I look at, at the church in America today. I'm concerned when I look at the ministry today. There's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of reasons why this statistic is happening. But do you realize that within our denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, that 100 pastors and ministers step out of their, their calling every month? 100 pastors are, and this is just our denomination, 100 pastors are leaving the ministry every single month. In just a few years, we're we're going to have, it's going to be the first time, and if this statistic continues going, we're going to have all these churches and we're not gonna have any pastors to pastor them. This is what's happening in, in America today. And oh, it's not just the pastors that are quitting on church. It's church members. Do you realize that in the state of Florida, the church members think that that a a, 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 a faithful church member will attend their church once a month? Do you realize that 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 truth is also here in Aloma? I I preach. There's a good standard group of people that come. But by and large, I'm preaching to a new congregation every single week. People are saying, well, we can worship at home. We don't need to come to church. We don't, we don't need to come and, and gather together. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews said. The writer of Hebrews said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves as some have. But you come together and we come together, writer of Hebrews says, in order to spur one another on. Now in Tennessee, growing up in East Tennessee, I, I grew up Riding horses. And when you want to ride a horse for real, and you want to make that horse go, horses can be stubborn animals. Horses aren't always going to do what you want them to do. And they're a whole lot bigger than you. So they're going to do what they want to do, whether you want them to do it or not. Now, when you're on the back of a horse, and you're riding and you're going on a long ride, you had better put something on the back of your shoes, and they're called spurs. Now, those spurs that you're wearing on your shoes, are you wearing those spurs in order to tell the the horse how to have a a happy day today? I just want to bless you, horse. No. We wear those spurs in order to to point the horse in a direction, to lead the horse in a certain direction. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we, for the sake not the assembly of ourselves, we come together in order to spur one another on. We don't gather together just so I can tell you how to have a happy day on Monday. We come together as the church body to challenge one another, to, to spur one another toward a direction that, that we are being led by the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not natural to follow and to, to think, to center ourselves on Jesus doing whatever it takes for people to experience life. That, that, that's not natural. That's not normal. It's not natural to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. It's not natural to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's not natural to go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. lo, I'll be with you always, even at the end of the age. It's not natural to do the great commitment. It's not natural to do the great commission. It's not natural to do the great commandment. It's not natural to do those things. It's supernatural. You see, it's, it's a Jesus thing. And when Jesus gets in the middle of something, Jesus is doing something. Jesus will continue to do something. You cannot be the church when you're out there by yourself. You and I need each other to come together, to spur one another on, and to live and to do and to perform as Christ would have us. You know as we think about what Christ has done and what Christ has called us to do, my challenge today to the believer, to the member of Aloma Loma church, that if we're going to fulfill the mission that God has called us to do, if we are to truly win the city, we are to do something impossible, attempt the impossible, we do what we can do, we leave the rest to God. We're on our knees, we're praying, we're sacrificing and praying, we're travailing in prayer. We're sacrificing financially. We're, we're giving above and beyond the tithe in order for people who have not yet come. We're, we're, we're expanding our tent. We're, we're lengthening our cords. We're strengthening and digging down our stakes. We're, we're doing this together. When we as a church sacrifice and serve, we will fulfill, listen, we will fulfill the mission that God has called us to do.